You're listening to the Own the Build podcast, where each week, Liam Curley and Paul Hemming from C-Link discuss how small and medium-sized developers can level up their business through smart construction management. I want to talk about subcontract. You ever heard anyone say this, Paul? I want to talk about (laughs) subcontract tendering and procurement. You ever heard anyone utter those words? My first ever boss would have probably said something like that, but uh, he might be the only person ever. Do you still keep in touch with him? Um, I don't. I fear that he is very old now because uh, he was ah. he was almost seventy odd uh, when when I was eighteen. So uh, he will be in. He w- he will be old now. Let's just put it like that, shall we? Right. <laughs> he's taking on this picture, <laughs> turn, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> might, not be, might not be worth dwelling on that too much. He was great, but he's old now. <laughs> Let's move on. Let's move yes. this along. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so we're going to talk about subcontract tendering and procurement. Mm-hmm. And I'll be honest, like, so when I first started um, thinking about this uh, to the extent that we do, you know, uh, in our day jobs at Sealink, mm. um, I wouldn't have considered this much of a thing worthy of a conversation you know i think that i probably would have thought of it as well yeah i mean and i think anyone outside of procurement well maybe i'm just speaking for myself mm-hmm. would think of it as well you just buy something you know but with this you're all right you're fine as subcontractors give them the drawings ask them for a quote Make sure they're priced, you know, pricing what you want, and then and then and that's pretty much it. Mm. And um, you're going to tell me I'm wrong, aren't you? Sadly, it's not that simple. Yeah. Well, you should know. You should, <laughs> you should know what what um, represents a good uh, subcontract tender because you were a uh, subcontractor at one point, weren't you? And you must have known what it's like to be on the other side. And I'm sure there's different types of tenders that you received, and some of them would have been in the poor category, some of them would have been in the well thought out and uh, considered category. Yeah, I think so. But I think when you're, well, I certainly, when I was sitting on the subcontractor side, you you know, I think of the subcontractor um, perspective as being challenging mm-hmm. because you, I've always sat on the side of marketing or sales. So I've always sat in the seat from trying to sell something and I think that's hard. And naturally, I think buying is easy mm-hmm. because I perceive it from where I'm sat as you've got um, a lot of the power from the procurement side. Yeah. And um, yeah, I, I listen, I, I think that's, I don't think that's accurate now, but that is how I felt. And I suspect I wasn't the only person that felt that way. Yeah. Um, and obviously you've not felt that way recently if, if if ever yeah so tell us tell me <laughs> tell tell me from you know five years ago or whatever why is there's more to it than just buying stuff well i mean 
obviously, if you're talking to any procurement professional or anyone who does procurement, no matter what the sector, um, it's never as simple as you just buy. There's there's loads of things that you need to consider, isn't there? There's terms and conditions, there's quality, there's timing, there's obviously the price that is driving everything. Um, what, having done hundreds of millions of pounds of procurement of construction works in my uh, career, and then subsequently with C-Link, you start to see uh, how the industry generally procures. Um, it does seem like there is a wide uh, spectrum of quality in terms of what people think is appropriate for subcontract tendering and then what people actually um, are delivering in some cases. So uh, it's really important in my uh, humble opinion that people who who are doing subcontract procurement um, kind of look at it as you, you, you get out of it what you put in. Often we see, we see people send out uh, tenders in a way which is uh, fragmented, so the information isn't all in standardised format. They send it on one day to someone, another to someone else, um, and then bemoan the fact that when they receive prices from subcontractors, one subcontractor is priced for apples and one subcontractor is priced for pears, and effectively um, think that that is the... Uh, poor form of the subcontractor as opposed to actually thinking about how you do the procurement yourself and the responses are a reflection of the of the information that you're sharing um so it's i i always think that um subcontract procurement is all about you know more about the job than the person who is receiving the information so it's your job in delivering a good tender document is basically um giving them as much information as you possibly can, allowing them to understand that information uh, simply, uh, making it simple to analyse for them and allowing them to price it in a way that means that you're not comparing apples and pears, you're comparing apples with apples. Um, and yeah, too often I think that people uh, expect procurement to be simple uh, but aren't willing to quite put in the legwork at the front end. Um, and yeah. What people... I don't mean specifically what people, but what, what do you mean by people? Uh, no, 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 no uh, individuals or companies specifically. I just think that uh, the... In- Would you in- say that non, non, do you mean non-procurement professionals? Well, I would class um, quantity surveyors as procurement professionals. And I've seen plenty of quantity surveyors, um, subcontract tenders and thought... Um, that isn't going to get you the responses that you want. Um, so I, th- I think it, it comes back to what what response uh, does a sub, does a quantity surveyor? Let's take the example, right? Quantity surveyor is going to procure I don't know a roofing package or something. Um, what do they want to be able to do at the end of it? What's their objective? Their objective is to have four or five interested suitable companies return them tenders that are comparable. And that can be can be compared, and if they do that, they can probably get a pretty good angle on uh, market value. They can probably competitively tender it. Um, and so, to do that, how do you do that? You've got to frame your inquiry in a way that returns comparable like for like tenders, um, and that's what's important. And um, I don't think it's fair to say that procurement professionals are all doing it, and therefore it's people that aren't procurement professionals 
that aren't doing it because there's plenty of construction projects where the procurement could be a lot better. And if, if as the person buying, you put in more effort, um, you're going to get out much, much more. So you get out what you put in, basically. That's my uh, thesis on it. Yeah. Why do you think procurement or some procurement professionals aren't getting it right? Uh, number of reasons. Uh, time is difficult. Um, it's all construction projects, something like 70% of construction projects overrun. That's largely because um, it's a it's mission impossible from day one. So almost all construction professionals, uh, QSs, PMs, whoever they are, they're almost always working on a project where uh, they've got a gun to their head in terms of time. So you can't always do absolutely the right thing. I think it's just a culture as well where um, because in construction, um, you're not always working with the same people. In fact, almost every project renders that you work with different people. And that's one of the main problems with construction, isn't it? That you have a project team, you learn a load of stuff together and it disperses and you never see them again or you see half of them. So I also think the fact that you're not working with the same people constantly and keeping up to the same expectations with them probably also means that... um, it brings down the bar a little bit. You think I can send, I'll send this out to a load of people. I'm not going to necessarily speak to them again. Let's see what happens, see what comes back. And uh, cheapest wins sometimes is the attitude. Um, and I think you can get away with it in construction. Procurement is such a mess that all um, projects have challenges with it. So I think uh, you can generally get away with it as a uh, QS or a project manager, not always doing uh, the absolutely best thing for the project. Okay, so broadly speaking, what would great subcontract procurement achieve and what would poor subcontract procurement achieve? It's, it's going back to what I said about what's your objective. Everyone's objective, um, whether you're the director of the business or you're the QS on the job, um, on the actual project, your objective should be that of the projects, 90, 90 to 100% of it is subcontract procured, right? Um, if you're a main contractor or if you're a developer, you're procuring almost everything. So in an ideal world, you'd have this big long list of procurement, your big long procurement schedule with all the different trades covered from groundworks through to cleaning or whatever at the end. And you would have your budget and then against each um package you would procure it on time and on budget so your objective is to hit your budget and to hit your program so good subcontract procurement is competitively tendering every package because that gives you the best chance to meet your requirements of budget and time and if you do that you can uh, save a lot of money and a lot of uh, a lot of time in doing it it's easier said than done and there's certain steps that i would uh advocate to carry out throughout the process of subcontract procurement and procuring a single package. Um, But yeah, your objective at the start of procuring any package is um, to save time and to save money or just to hit your budget. It's not about cutting corners and cutting costs necessarily. Cheapest isn't always best, but you want to get best value for money, yeah. So good subcontract, broadly speaking, good subcontract procurement delivers the project on time and on budget or or maybe slightly better than budget 
Mm-hmm. Poor subcontract procurement leads to delayed delivery and paying over the budget. Yeah. That's very broad, I understand, but essentially that's what we're getting at. Very, very broadly, I mean, procurement, they talk about procurement, I'm not going to sound stupid here, but they talk about procurement, I remember this when I was studying, as like a, a triangle, and you have to, you're, you're always balancing one of the three um, axes, if you like, because you have quality, time, and cost, right? So you, you can't necessarily get all three unless you've got the biggest budget and the biggest program. So you're always managing the expectation of, of those three different points. So... Um, Really, good good procurement is uh, ensuring that you get the best um, quality with the time and money that you've got on the job. Okay. Did I sound stupid there? <laughs> the procurement triangle. We have to look that up afterwards. It's definitely not called the procurement triangle. But it's not called the procurement triangle. I mean, <laughs> that, that 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 concept of uh, that triangle of the uh, cost, time, and what is it? Cost, time, and. Uh, cost, time, and quality. Quality. I think that's used broadly beyond subcontract procurement. Maybe, maybe. But it works in subcontract procurement. We're gonna tra- we're gonna trademark that. The procurement oh, triangle. <laughs> okay, so let's break it down. Then, what does the structure? How how what 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 is the structure of, of great subcontract procurement? Yeah. So um, I would break it down into four or five steps. Um, so step one would be um, making sure that you've got five people to competitively tender with. So kind of doing your pre-qualification due diligence, however that that is. So let's again say, I don't know, um, you could pick, pick a package and from that you would want to identify subcontractors that are suitable interested and willing to tender um so as well as like trying to find uh contractors who are suited um you want to make sure that they've got the necessary skill experience um for your project um so for example a company that regularly builds i don't know two-story load-bearing masonry houses may not be a, an appropriate choice for a concrete reinforced concrete frame project or for a timber frame project so it's all about trying to find the right companies for the right uh, projects um, but what you would want to do is you would want to go out to the market with your package understand the budget try and connect with contractors who are suitable um, try and connect with enough of them I would always say that you want to have a minimum of four or five prices that you're analyzing reviewing and able to uh take forward to the next step um, of discussion and negotiation, basically. That would be step one. And it's a boring step. <laughs> and that, that is to say that step two, three... Things can only get better. Is this yeah, what you're saying? Th- things can only get better. But when I tell you that my next step is going to be uh, a bill of quantities, that is where, <laughs> that's where people are going to realise that it's not that interesting. But yeah, I mean, just to recap, uh, when, when you're connecting with the contractors, it's... All about, have they got the capacity? Are they suitable for your project? Do you need to get references for them? And are they interested in pricing? And are they actually going to return a price for you? And if they are, fantastic. Let's uh, let's price with them, basically. Um, but yeah, so bill, bill of quantities. Um, and I guess bill of quantities is a, uh, 
<laughs> this is a very QS thing to say, but it's always a uh, a topic of debate. Bills, bills of quantity, quantities are so. <laughs> yeah, that well, is. <laughs> yeah, that's, and they call uh, quantity surveyors. Some people call them bean counters. <laughs> I just don't understand that. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense because we're really good guys generally. Um, so. Bill of, bills of quantity, I think everyone listening will know what they are. Um, the question being, do you include one or do you not include one within your tender document? Now, I speak to loads of quantity surveyors, commercial managers, whoever they are, developers, main contractors, who tell me, I don't want to include a bill of quantities or a pricing document. I'll let the subcontractor price um, and see what they co- see what comes back. Now, there is a couple of reasons to do that. I don't really agree with them, but the reasons to do that would be you haven't done a bill of quantities and it, it takes time and effort to do it and you don't want to do that. Um, and that if you do provide a bill of quantities, there is the the potential that you might mismeasure something and then you're going to have a uh, debate about it further down the line, take on some responsibility. I would say that number one is um, you get out of subcontract procurement what you put in so do the bill of quantities that solves that issue um and number two uh if you're produ- if you're procuring on the basis of like a lump sum contract anyway it doesn't matter if the measure has a, has an issue in it you're procuring on a lump sum fixed price contract so it's irrelevant anyway i don't think that that is really a uh, good argument not to provide a bill of quantities i think the reason why a lot of people don't is because uh they can't be asked for to use to, to use a uh, construction phrase, maybe. But um, I am a firm believer that you really should produce a bill of quantities. And if you produce a bill of quantities for a package, you outline exactly what you want to have priced. Um, you produce a document. You insist that those pricing your um, tender price on the basis of that document. Then when all the prices are returned, not only are they going to be returned more quickly um, by the subcontractors because it's easier for them, um, but they're going to be returned more comprehensively and they're going to be returned allowing you to compare them like for like. So you'll be, you won't have the apples, pears, bananas, whatever you want. You'll have just beautiful Granny Smith apples to review. And you can look at it like for like. You'll understand what everyone has included what might happen is some subcontractors will say, um, by the way, in your measures, I didn't see this, but I saw it on the drawings, I'll be to include for that. That would actually allow you to make a more comprehensive bid, um, put everything in there. Um, and so it kind of comes back to your pre-qualification as well. If, you, if, you're, if you're speaking to the right people, you will, you will get good tenders returned regardless. Um, people prefer, subcontractors generally prefer to price on their own. Uh, bill of quantity on a bill of quantities that's prepared, um, and I just don't believe that people who argue for um, not including a bill of quantities really do believe that um, they're right. I think that they are often uh, under a huge amount of pressure or just not that interested in producing it because it takes a lot of time and effort. Um, but if you do it, the cons- the the benefits are. Are far-reaching, Liam. They're, 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 you'll never stop reaping the rewards of your bill of quantity. So, <laughs> <laughs> if you have the BOQ, you get the like-for-like like 
comparisons, which saves you a whole lot of time and money and effort. Um, it means that you're going to place really good orders. Um, and it then means that when you place a contract, you've already got in place a method to manage the money on the, on the job. So you've got a, a pricing document, you've got the rates, you've got the measures. So when it comes to valuation, it comes to payment, your life's also a lot easier then. So again, without laboring the point, uh, you do get out what you put in. And if you put in the effort at the front end, you reap the rewards throughout the tender process and then actually throughout the job as well. So um, I really think that if you're not including your bill of quantities in your uh, subcontract tender document, your inquiry, uh, you're making a mistake and you just cause yourself uh, problems further down the line. Um, it improves the speed that you get the tenders back, improves how you manage it, and you will be able to compare like for like tenders. So yeah, that would be my, uh, my second point. And there'll be a lot of people that will, um, I think... Uh, roll their eyes at that one because I speak to a lot of people who don't want to do it and uh, I just think you're they're, they're often the people that then complain why have these uh, why have I not got apples and apples these these subcontract these quotes make no sense so I'm going to have to go back out again and I'm going to have to qualify and tell them this is exactly what I want you to price so I, either you do it at the start, you do it later, or you just go in off the back of someone else's work um, and you place orders for tens, hundreds of thousands of pounds, millions of pounds based on someone else's work, um, which then brings all kinds of problems. As you can see, I do actually want to talk about bills of quantities quite a lot. Quite, uh, It does, I, I'm sadly quite passionate about it. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to see you get Let's get, let's get back to Birmingham City and Millwall. That was much more interesting. It wasn't, unfortunately. I prefer the stuff about Bill of Quantities. I wanted to take a quick break from the show to share a message from our sponsor, C-Link. C-Link is software designed to streamline the process of subcontract procurement. It's a platform that helps SME developers and main contractors stay agile whilst replicating the commercial scale and savvy of large contractors. If you want to save a guaranteed minimum 5% against budget construction costs on your next project, head to www.get.c-link.com podcast to find out more. If you're driving or working out right now and didn't catch that URL, don't sweat it. We've included the link in the description box for this episode. Now, let's get back to the show. Let's move it. Let's let's move this along, Paolo, please. No problem, problem, (laughs) Kels. Next next section, what are we on? Okay, so the next section is uh, the document that sits next to the Bill of Quantities, the scope of works. So... Objective of that document is, again, quite simple. Just clearly outline and define the deliverables of what you're asking for. So, again, you get out what you put in. It's the mantra for this whole thing. A lot of... Uh, <laughs> you said, whenever I get out what you is put that, in, is, is, that, is that four, five, six times <laughs> I've said it now? Yeah, I do like saying that, but I do also believe that uh, it's very true. You so, get out what you put in. Exactly, yeah. With, with subcontract procurement, anyway. Um, so... Yeah, so in the same vein, 
uh, of producing a bill of quantities, doing the legwork and explaining what you want priced, a lot of people will also then say, okay, so in terms of the scope of works, let's take the, the, the uh, roofing package, right? A lot of people will say, um, in terms of the scope of works, uh, price the supply and installation of the roofing package. Next. And think that that is a suitable explanation of exactly what they want to have priced. And then again, once, once people then receive the prices back and someone has priced for a different specification of roof or they haven't included for copings, gutters, whatever comes with the roof, um, we'll then complain again, I'm not comparing apples and apples, I'm comparing apples and pears. So um, it doesn't have to be overly uh, strenuous, this process. It's much easier than producing a bill of quantities, but you just need to explicitly say what you want them to produce. So um, let's take the roofing package. You might say, I want, so the, the scope of works for this package is the supply and installation of the roofing package as um, quantified in the bill of quantities, as described and shown specification-wise on the drawings and perhaps on the specification um, if, if as included. Um, and I would also like you, or we would also like you, to price for interfacing, which might be copings, guttering, all the stuff that comes with roofing. In terms of access, we're going to provide a scaffold that you can work work from or provide your own access. How are they going to include for logistics? What are the working hours? Just explaining what's going to happen and what you want them to do. These, You have to understand that subcontractors aren't um, mind readers. Explain what you want them to price. They're the experts. They'll price it. Simple, simple as that. So, yeah, it doesn't need to... Uh, be overly complicated and could talk about how you break down the scope of works for ages if you wanted to but uh, probably probably not uh, the platform to do it so simply put that's maybe for another episode yeah strap yourselves in listeners and uh, <laughs> don't, don't, don't miss that one <laughs> so yeah the scope, scope of works is just describe and request uh, exactly what you want them to price and they'll price it okay what's next Next on the list um, would be um, invitation to tender. Um, so producing a document, which could be a letter, it could be a cover email, however you do it, but um, explaining uh, a little bit about the context of the project. So the project is here. Um, we're doing, The overall works that we're doing are the construction of nine flats. I'm looking for you to do i don't know just the roofing package going back to roofing again and again um explain the kind of contracts that you would give the subcontractor if they're successful explain when you want them to price by when you want them to start on site all the key things covered in one document um allowing them to again easily digest it i'm not going to say you get <laughs> you get out of it what you put into it liam but uh yeah a, a, a simple document which frames your inquiry so tells them the tender period tells them the contract tells them all of the documents and list them and ask them for value engineering ask them to uh, return on a specific date um, i would also say that if you're being reasonable and well thought out about your uh, procurement strategy that too often uh people who are procuring and main contracts or developers will pass on their program pain to the subcontractors. And that's not just in the contract, but also in the tender period. So trying to give subcontractors the right amount of time to digest the information, to price the information and to return. And 
I would say that um, for an install only package, I don't know, install only Britwork, you maybe want to give a minimum of one week, but maybe up to two weeks. For a supply and install package, between two and three weeks. And then for a design, supply and install, like a complex M&E package, you want to really be giving them three to four weeks to turn something around to really give you a comprehensive submission. Um, so yeah, I would say that the next important part is to package up with an invitation to tender letter, all of the key information, including your BOQ, your scope of works. Um, and yeah, submit it out on that basis. Okay. And what's next? Last but not least is uh, a key bit that a lot of people um, don't pay attention to, um, which is following up, building rapport. We, we talk about this a lot for subcontractors, don't we? Um, that a lot of subcontractors uh, will receive a tender and not communicate back to the uh, person who sent it to them saying, thanks, I've received this tender. Um, I'm working on it. I'll get in touch if I have any queries, um, which is good practice for the subcontractor on the other side. But um, likewise, it's really good practice for you as the person buying to follow up the tenders, that you, the inquiries that you've sent out, try and build up a rapport with these um, people, explain, take a bit of time to explain on the phone the context of the job to better supplement the information that you've sent in writing. It's always easier to explain it on the phone and to understand it um, through uh, verbal discussion. So again, like um, it's in giving them as much information and knowledge about the job as possible. If you follow it up, you'll also be able to understand that they're pricing. You'll have that confidence. Um, and it's, it does take a bit of time to do that, but in doing that, you're much more likely to receive the tenders back, much more likely to receive them back completed and in the format you want them, i.e. saying to them, I've done a bill of quantities, I'm, I'm going to ignore your price unless you price it on my bill of quantities. So do that, please. So allowing you to then um, compare apples with apples. That's the objective, really, is, is getting five like-for-like -like quotes back on every package. So you're getting market value and you're comparing like-for-like. That's yeah, point. I think that is a case with a lot of things, and particularly project management, which effectively this is uh, falls under project management, is that you're trying to remove areas of friction that might stop you getting what you want, which is delivering on time and and budget. And um, it's easy, you know, you've got to remember if you're a small developer you're probably dealing with small subcontractors. And it may be the case that the person that is going to price the package is also running the jobs. And so they, you know, they they may maybe intend to price a job, maybe don't intend to price a job. They've got other things going on. And rightly or wrongly, they've not either looked at your document or they've looked at it, thought it's something they're not interested in, not come back to you on. And you can moan about it, you can complain about it and think, well, they should come back to me. They should have the decency to come back to me. Or you can take the initiative and do what you've said and call them and make it easier for them because you want to achieve your goals. And if you can remove friction and speak to each subcontractor and you might uncover a reason why someone... You might uncover A, certain subcontractors aren't going to uh, price the job and they haven't told you yet. Mm -hmm. You might uncover that they've had problems with it and that they just hadn't told you yet. And so there's just two things, but in, in making that call, um, it might mean that you get 30%, 40%, 50% more 
tenders back on time, which is critical, yeah, and, presumably, for your program management. Yeah, and, and you might also gain some efficiencies. You might pick up the phone to someone and they say, you know, as well as the brickwork, I do the scaffold, or as well as the dry lining, I can do the plastering and painting. Do you want me to give you a price option on that? Helps you get ahead on those things. Just you get out what you put in there. You, you really do, don't you? And, um, you do. Yeah. I don't think we've said it enough, but you do get out. <laughs> we well, definitely haven't mentioned it enough. Yeah, I think you. I think you've. Uh, I think you've covered it. I think you're all right. It's, there's more to subcontract procurement than a, a bean counter asking for a quote. And I and I apologise forever. Calling for all, for all SQSs out there, I've got your backs. Um, I'm trying to show that we know what we're doing and it's not as easy as uh, people like Liam think. Um, so, yeah. People like Liam used to think. Yeah, he's a changed man. But he is, still a, he is still a Millwall fan, guys, so uh, don't get too ahead of yourselves. Yeah, I am. I'm a good <laughs> one, so. Yeah. All right. Cheers, Paul. All right, mate. Take it easy. Speak to you next week. Take it easy, mate. Cheers. Bye. Bye-bye.